Coming up on Stu Does America, I lure Glenn back into the studio with a trail of Reese's Pieces, like the extraterrestrial that he is, and make him tell me about his newest Blaze TV special. It's true. And new information reveals what those of us with the power of critical thought already knew. The shutdown of schools over COVID-19 was botched and unnecessary. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. It's great to see you. And yes, I mean you right there. I can see you, you right there. Don't you forget to watch this show, of course, every night if you can. And also, you can do it completely free if you throw us a you know, YouTube subscription, maybe a podcast subscription, a review, a rating, all those things. Let us know that you're with us. We really appreciate it. Find the links to your favorite platforms at stewdoesamerica.com or get the show and a whole lot more when you subscribe to Blaze TV. Go to blazetv.com slash stew and enter the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. It says it in the Constitution, and it says it again here. I will tell you, Twitter is not real life, or is it? We'll take a look at the social media giant and its effect on, well, the entire human race as we do Twitter. Stu does America. Well, our story tonight begins as so many stories do when we're talking about complaining about social media. It starts, of course, on social media. I was, uh, you know, going through a little Instagram earlier today and came across the Louder with Crowder Instagram page. And this message was posted. It said, no Louder with Crowder show this morning so that we can cr- uh, we can cross some T's and dot some I's. We're working on a major legal update. Hint, it's Twitter. And we'll have half Asian lawyer Bill Richmond on tomorrow for a barely legal update. I'm not entirely sure I want to think about Bill Richmond in the context of Barely Legal, but that's going to be a big one. Make sure to check it out tomorrow. It's going to be a big update. Conservatives obviously need to fight for every inch of territory when it comes to social media, or we will be expunged forever, tossed into the Twitter gulags for all of eternity. Thank God for people like Stephen and Bill uh, who are willing to stand up and fight on that battlefield. Now, if I had my way, I would never spend another second on social media in my entire life. Down with Silicon Valley. I'm basically a Zoranite when it comes to social media. Named after, of course, Max Zorin, the villain in the highly underrated James Bond movie, A View to a Kill. Silicon Valley. Here's San Francisco. Over 250 plants employing thousands of scientists, technicians. This is the heartland of electronic production in the United States, which accounts for what, 80% of the world microchip market. I propose to end the domination of Silicon Valley and leave us in control of that market. What is it you propose? Project Main Strike, for which each of you will pay me $100 $100 million. $100 million? $100 million? No, for the control of the global microchip market? That sounds crazy. They didn't like that plan, a lot of them. But Operation Main Strike was very simple. Just hire a ton of people to go into an underground mine and lace it with explosives, which sets off a massive earthquake on the San Andreas Fault, which floods and eventually completely destroys and obliterates Silicon Valley. Think of it. No Twitter, no Facebook, no YouTube. Wouldn't it be glorious? <laughs> That's why I'm a Zoranite. You know, except for the fact that this world that I'm talking about, I'm almost definitely cleaning toilets at a low-rent fast food establishment. It sounds pretty great. 
Now, we spent a lot of time talking about Twitter and a lot more time talking about what Twitter is talking about. Twitter dominates our news cycles in incredibly significant ways. There's this thing that Charlie Warzel says, he's now a columnist for the New York Times, who's a pretty smart guy and an interesting read, even though I don't always agree with him. He says Twitter is real life. Elites just pretend it's not. And it's an interesting take because I always tend to think about Twitter as this annoying thing separate from the way real people live. As Warzel argues, ask a journalist who's been fired for an old dredged up tweet or a woman or person of color who's been doxxed, swatted or harassed and driven home from his or her home. If Twitter is real life, they'll say yes. I might also ask one of the 11 trillion conservatives who have had their lives completely destroyed as well. And it's true. Something you tweet in the fake world of Twitter can affect your real life, your real livelihood, your real relationships, your real reputation. The very online Ezra Klein talks about another effect of Twitter. He says, quote, political elites have an outsized effect on what actually happens in politics. And they're constantly on Twitter. And they, in parentheses, we, create a politics that looks more like Twitter, even that if that's not what the country actually wants. In other words, elites that are influential in the media and in politics sit on Twitter all freaking day. And that colors their coverage and direction. Twitter is just a cocktail party for rich journalists. Because those rich journalists have lots of influence, Twitter is inherently important. Both of these are, in their own way, true. But here's the thing. They're only true because we allow them to be true. Why do we react to every Twitter controversy? Why do we care? We wind up getting drawn into this world where our opponents set all of the rules. It's like one day the elites on Twitter say, we're having a chili cook-off. And we respond, oh yeah, well, we'll make better chili than you. And the next day, we're doing a handstand contest. And we say, oh yeah, we can do a handstand even longer than you. And on and on it goes. They set the rules and we engage with all of their nonsense. It's important to really understand how stupid it is to care about some of this stuff. We are always talking about what happened on Twitter and how to react to it. But who are the political influencers of Twitter? How many people are we actually talking about? We can understand this by looking at a report from Pew Research. We get this sense that the entire political conversation of our country is happening on Twitter, where everyone is obsessed with the back and forth of the political controversy of the day. But that isn't reality. Let's take the entire population and turn them into 100 blue dots and give you a little conservatives. And you know, I, let's go with the conservators guide to who's on Twitter. Here's the whole population of the United States, 100 beautiful blue dots. But who are the people obsessed with politics that we're always talking about? First thing, of course, is you have to remove the kids, the kids under voting age. About 24% of the population is under 18. That leaves us with 76 blue dots remaining. Then we have to understand that a, sh a shocking thing, a shocking fact to the politically obsessed, the overwhelming majority of U.S. adults never use Twitter, never, don't have an account, don't sign on, don't know that you retweeted that perfect slam on AOC or Bernie. The truth is only about 22% of adults actually use Twitter, 22%. Think about that. Think of how much influence this website has on our culture and less than a quarter of voting age Americans ever sign on to it. That takes us from 76 blue dots down to only 17. However, about 10% of those with Twitter accounts, only those 
10% actually use Twitter frequently. The other 90% are only occasional tweeters. The imbalance is so crazy that the top 10% of Twitter users are responsible for 80% of all the tweets on the site. Whereas at the bottom 90% of users are responsible for only 20% of the tweets. The median Twitter user only tweets twice a month. Twice a month. And even the heavy users are only averaging about four or five tweets a day. That's way less than your average Twitter-obsessed journalist. If you take out only the occasional Twitter users, we go from 17 blue dots all the way down to 1.7. Only 1.7% of the population. But we're not done yet, because the majority of that 1.7% never talks about politics on Twitter. That's right, they're tweeting a lot, but they're tweeting about video games and grilled cheese sandwiches or their latest recipe for Tide Pods. I don't know. And of those who, who use Twitter frequently, only 42% have tweeted about politics at any time in the last month. That brings us from 1.7% down to 0.7%. 0.7% of the population completely running our political discourse for us. These are our political Twitter influencers, and they make up a grand total of a maximum of 0.7% of the population. What should we learn from this? We need to do a better job defining the rules of the game and the venue it is played, rather than letting the left and the media control every aspect of the sport and then being surprised when we can't win the championship. Liberal influencers, by the way, on Twitter outnumber conservatives by about two to one. But also, we should do a better job keeping these things in perspective. There's essentially never a reason to get in a political fight on Twitter unless it's something you just enjoy doing. And then go ahead. And when you're attacked and threatened to be canceled, don't be like the banjo player from Mumford & Sons. No, no. He praised a book by Andy No, and then had to leave the band and apologize because he said something nice about a guy who risks his life opposing a group that's setting fires to federal buildings all around America. So much of this stuff is just a giant digital zilch. So much of this can be avoided by just ignoring it. Several years ago, I did a segment on The Wonderful World of Stew, where I had an appropriately wonderful time criticizing the results of a much-hyped survey on assault on campus. I might have dressed Jeffy up as a rapist for the segment, you know, by which I mean I allowed him to dress in his regular clothing. The segment went viral, and lots of the typical left-wing sources were calling for my cancellation, saying I was mocking victims of sexual assault. Obviously, this wasn't true, but no one was going to watch the segment and find out. And I remember reading the stories and the tweets as people lied about me and lied about what I said. And of course, my human reaction was to want to correct them and prove them all wrong. And it's hard to resist that instinct, especially when you know you're right. But I, I had a secret weapon that day. Mm -hmm. I was deathly ill with the flu, which used to be a thing, by the way. People used to get sick with the flu. And so I had no energy. And instead of getting in endless tweet battles that day, I just went to sleep. And you know what happened? A couple of days later, I felt better. And I went back into work. And you know what happened? Everyone had moved on to the new controversy of the day. No one cared anymore because you know what? No one ever cared. No one 
ever believed I was mocking the victims of sexual assault. They just needed something to get themselves through the day. It's up to us whether we give it to them or not. Now, I'm lucky to work at a network where the truth actually matters and having a backbone is praised instead of vilified. I can fight all I want or, you know, go to bed. But we give these morons who hang out on Twitter all day far too much power. We're never going to have a country that respects our founding and the freedoms associated with it if we're spending our lives on Twitter. We also will not have a life that we're happy with. So perhaps we should spend a little less of our time reacting to a bird-themed messaging service and a little more of our time enjoying our actual life. Are you trying to buy or sell a home right now in a time where the market, we're spending all this cash, uh, we're printing money like crazy. We are in the middle of God only knows what with a Biden economy ahead of us. Who knows? You need to have uh, a real estate agent that can maximize your biggest financial transaction. You need to have realestateagentsitrust.com. Why? Well, they're the best real estate agents in your area. How do I know that? They screen them all. They make sure they're the best ones. That's how the company works. Glenn started this a while ago because he had, of course, started with a terrible uh, real estate agent and had a terrible transaction and thought to himself, you know, maybe I shouldn't just be picking out of a hat here. Maybe I should actually go through a service that can screen these people for me. He looked around, couldn't find one that did the job the right way. He found one here, realestateagentsitrust.com. You can get more information about the service at realestateagentsitrust.com. Whether you're buying or selling a house, you got to get the most money, got to have the best transaction. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to do that. Realestateagentsitrust.com. It's Glenn's company. He's coming up in just a second. I mean, you got to go there. Realestateagentsitrust.com. I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome Glenn Beck back into the studio space that he owns. His newest special premieres tonight immediately after this program, 9 p.m. Eastern tonight. It is the great reset of the American story. Glenn, thanks for stopping in. You bet. Uh, so what do you have? What is what is the show about tonight? Uh, tonight it's about how we are erasing all of Western uh, culture, all of Western history. Um, the new uh, AP history courses don't include... Uh, the Revolution, the Civil War, uh, World War One, World War Two, Nazis, Hitler, or the Holocaust. Mm. Uh, they do cover Jamestown, and then it goes right from Jamestown, pilgrims, slavery, to us, for some unknown reason, setting off the atomic bomb. Well, I mean, <laughs> the atomic bomb looks a lot worse if you erase the rest of World War Two. You know, if, we're, if it's just us on a normal day, just yeah. dropping the bomb, it's, it's right. not good. It's a it's an amazing it's an amazing thing. We're going to show p- people what to do, how to get involved. Uh, don't feel alone. You've got to stand up. And some progress has been made in San Francisco. Parents are starting to, uh, to stand up and they're not going to change the names, at least yet. They've uh, put all of this on hold. Uh, they're not going to change the name of, you know, Abraham Lincoln School and all of that in San Francisco oh, wow. because the parents stood up to it. Uh, and it's been quite effective. And we also are going to teach some history today. We have some amazing artifacts. Uh, one I just held in my hand just this weekend. We just got it. Uh, two pieces from actual the, on the ground in, in Hiroshima. Two things that are ordinary objects that have dramatically changed 
because of the nuclear blast. And that would actually be allowed in this program because because it's us evil Americans just bombing uh, Japan. Right. So that would be OK. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we've kind of we've been through this uh, this dance before. I feel like I, I'm having flashbacks of the uh, Common Core. Oh, yeah. Uh, debate. This is Common Core did not go away. We slowed it down. Um, we stopped it from being institutionalized as it was, mm-hmm. but this is still a Common Core kind of approach, and you'll see more and more Common Core with the Great Reset. You're maybe taking this more negatively than I intended it. I was trying to say that, like, the Common Core felt like an inevitable thing, right? And then people rose up, not just Democrats, not just Republicans, but Democrats and, and just parents who just thought this was wrong, and we were able to to turn the tide a little bit on that. We've done it with Common Core. We did it with Agenda 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that's Agenda 2030. We knocked nine years uh, of, uh, of progress out of them. Uh, Barack Obama talks about how effective the Tea Party was. The, the, all it has to, let me rephrase it, uh, evil will happen. It will grow if good men and women don't stand up to fight it. It will. It w- all of these things will happen, and they're counting on us uh, to stand down. It's funny, though. When you say something about it, you get berated. You get attacked. I mean, I, we played the clip of you earlier this week of you being featured uh, as a part of a John Oliver monologue mm-hmm. where you said the doctors, what his paraphrasing was basically you said Dr. Seuss was canceled and it was fascism. Mm-hmm. Now, I was there for this uh, conversation. We know you were not talking about the, the stopping of Dr. Seuss books being printed by the company. As by the fascism. family. Right, by the family. The family owns the copyright. They can yeah. do whatever they want. They can do whatever the they want. You can't force someone to print a book. No. That's uh, a, that, that would be against the First Amendment, right. in, my, right. in my mind. Right. This is something different, though. This is saying, um, you know... You were talking about the banning of it. You know, it was being banned off of eBay and Amazon and all these other places. Yeah, you could not buy that book um, when I first said that, the day I said that. It was being pulled and you couldn't, it was, nothing was available on Amazon and it appeared as though it was pulled. You couldn't even buy a, uh, an old copy. eBay then comes out and says they're not going to sell any copies of it. All private companies, but you have to decide when these private companies are acting in the public interest uh, and when they're not and when they're coordinating things. You know, it's one thing for an individual company. It's another when they all kind of coordinate with each other. Um, I thought that looked very fascistic. However, today went on. You can buy Dr. Seuss on Amazon. Use copy, but you can buy it. Okay, so. You know, they stop printing them, but you can still buy a used copy. That's progress in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. If they don't want to print it, they have a right. They own the copyright. If you want to buy an old copy, you should have the right to do that. We have it. The problem is, is, is where we have uh, schools pulling books. We know they're doing this. They're pulling books. And uh, Dr. Seuss is one of them. Um, I'm sorry, but nobody ever said, oh, my gosh, I would have been somebody if it wasn't for Dr. Seuss. <laughs> right. Well, that, that's the thing. I think that's the reason why it, it captures the attention of conservatives. And I think a lot of people from across the political spectrum is that Dr. Seuss was always thought as this wonderful, good thing. You know, he's a good even to the point of Barack Obama and Michelle Obama and very recent Democrats saying like this guy is, is a hero. Right. And to, now all of a sudden that's going away. So I understand why it connected. 
there's this point, and I think I think you might agree with this, in that like it's not the exact perfect example of cancel culture, right? It is the the company's uh, the family's company who is saying we don't want to print this. But what I find to be so disingenuous about this point when the left brings it up is that it's one thing if you were to say, here are five really good examples, uh, uh, you know, the, the whole Disney plus um, Mandalorian thing. You find a re- that's a really good example of a person who does something that should not get them thrown off of their show and gets thrown off their show. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of examples like that. If you would say to me, hey. Here are five really good examples of cancel culture. But let me push back on the Dr. Seuss thing because it was their company and the book is still you can still buy it used here and there. And they have the choice. I would have that would connect, I think, with me because it it would indicate that someone's being honest. What we get here is cancel culture culture is fake. It's not real. It's imagined by conservatives. And now let me pick the the one example where I have a little wiggle room to highlight how dumb conservatives are. Right. That, that's not a, that's, that's not a, an argument made in good faith. No, it's not. Um, James Gunn um, is yeah. kind of nuanced on this. He's getting hammered by a lot of people, but he's saying cancel culture. Um, you can't, you can't invoke cancel culture on Dr. Seuss and say this is fascism um, because it was a private individual who owned the copyright and they were the ones who said no and you can still buy it places. And it was not it was not a a big movement to force that either. Maybe not. Maybe Maybe not. I mean, um, you know, everybody's moving now. Like we talked about Jimmy's versus Sprinkles. They're moving in advance of the right. They're moving because they know what's coming their way. So anyway, And he said the reason why you can't call it that is because uh, it lessens your credibility when it's real cancel culture. And I tend to agree with him on that. Not everything is cancel culture. Yeah. Well, you know, and let me ask you about James Gunn, because you've had interactions with him. Mm -hmm. Um, We fought hard for James Gunn Mm -hmm. when he, I thought, was being unfairly, when cancel culture was coming from the right Mm -hmm. against him. I didn't think it was right, and I don't think it's right today. I was, and maybe I missed it, but I have not heard him come out, for example, and talk about what happened with the Mandalorian and say, hey, this is nuts. And I think like, I don't think he will. And then he, but shouldn't he? I mean, like when you're a victim of this. I mean, I didn't stand up for him because I thought we were gaining an ally. No, no. I I stood up for him because I thought it was wrong. My point, though, is that for this to be, for the idiocy and the craziness of this to stop, you need people on the left to be calling it out as loudly as on the right. Um, and you need these prominent Hollywood people to be saying that, like, how how can she get canceled from The Mandalorian and her co-star who tweeted the same thing, who she said nothing but good things about since she uh, she's left the show. How can he not step up and say, wait a minute, I tweeted the same thing. Should I be canceled? Shouldn't there be? I, I, I sit here and I just beg for this like intellectual consistency and it never comes. Don't we all as kids at some point have a memory of us or someone uh, around us getting nailed for doing something and then just sitting there and freezing like I did the same thing, but I don't want to say anything. <laughs> sure. I but mean, that's not a it's not an instinct you hope to to continue. No, I know. But I mean, I don't think people change. I, I don't think people Even change. Even when you go it's through inst- a moment like that. I mean, I'm not picking on James Gunn in particular, but like the guy lost the biggest you franchise make, out there. You could make the argument that he's so glad to be out. He doesn't want to go out ever again in the cold. 
I could, you could make that argument, but then it would I, be I immoral. Yeah. But, you know. I mean, I think those voices are really important, especially when it happens to you to be able to come out and say, hey, like this is wrong. You know, and we should recognize as, so, as the people on the left that this is wrong. Have you ever watched Grey's Anatomy? Uh, bits and pieces over the years, but not not okay. a lot. Do we have you, time to talk about yes, that? Yes, you have okay. uh, embarked on a, on a, <sighs> on a well, journey. Well, I didn't know that it was like, you know, 19 seasons yeah. and still in production. Yes. My wife said uh, to me, watch Crazy Night, and I never had any desire to watch it. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Nighttime soap opera, I guess. I just yeah. thought it was a chick thing, and it's like I had no interest in it at all. Right. And finally she said to me, I watch shows that you want to... Okay. So... I watch a show and she says, what do you think? And I said, it's pretty good. We watch another show. And I said, okay, I'm probably wrong on this. Um, How many episodes? And she's like, well, there's 24 in every season. And I said, what? (laughs) And she said, yeah, 24 in every season. And it's still in production. There are 19 seasons now. And I'm like, oh my, we're never going to stop watching this show. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I got into this nightmare, but I've been watching it with her. And it's amazing to me because it it started a long time ago. Okay. It started 19 years ago. Yeah. There are women heads of surgery, women, uh, you know, I many times you will see that there's no men in the operating room. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. all women mm-hmm. that are in it. Um, all minority women, all different, you know, a lesbian, uh, a, a black woman, an Asian woman, and they're all women. Mm-hmm. And to watch this and think, wait, you're telling me that we're racist somehow? This is a very popular show. And if it wasn't going on in the cancel culture, if it wasn't like you have to do certain things, I would have never noticed that. I would have never thought, <laughs> there's not a man in there. I wouldn't have ever thought of that. I only think of it because I'm watching it and I'm like, wait a minute. How is this show popular at the time that that was coming out? If we were so racist and so sexist and it doesn't make any sense. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Have you noticed uh, going through a 20 year journey like this? Because I am sort of on the same a totally different journey. And that, like, <laughs> when I have a downtime, maybe right before I'm going to bed, I've been flipping on an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, and Seinfeld for me. Seinfeld for you, yeah. And you go back, and, and, and Sunny is still in production. I think it's through 14 or 15 seasons, something crazy mm-hmm. like that. They have more to come. And you see over time, what I notice dramatically is those early seasons have all sorts of things that theoretically should get them canceled. I don't want them to be canceled. I don't want to make a big deal about it because I don't want them to be canceled. And all of this, none of the stuff is stuff that they've done in some hateful way. It's just they were making points in a way that was edgy and absolutely would not be allowed today. Have you noticed, did you notice a transition through all these seasons as you've watched them where like the standards are changing and the, you know, no, no. They're not expanding into more woke stuff. That's not a, that's not a thing that happened in that show. I mean, a big agenda item for the, for Grey's Anatomy is the gay and lesbian thing. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that I've seen that was really pushed. Um, but that was pushed pretty early, right? And it was pushed fairly early. And that, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it started when? 2000? I don't even know. 2000? Yeah. So, I mean, that was after Ellen and it was just starting up. And so, but everything else I haven't seen really, really pushed. Hmm. And it's been consistently that way 
from the beginning. I mean, the head of the hospital was a black guy at first, you know. How, they, how dare they let a man I know. do this? I know. Uh, I know. One more before we go. Um, you are considering uh, becoming an Uber Eats driver. This is a, this is a fascinating I have decision. a rule that in my family, if you say pass the French fries, there's a tax. I like that. Daddy okay. tax. Dad I, tax. I, 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 I call it food tasting. Yeah. You know, just I call make sure it tax. I want the children to learn taxes are not good. Right. Yes. yes. You know, that was your food, right? Mm-hmm. You happy with me taking some of it? No. Taxes bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's not just for that. I'm trying to teach my son how to drive and he's got a pile up a lot of hours, you know, before, you know, before anybody is comfortable in sure. our, at least our household of him driving. And so I thought, what a good way for him to get a job, um, you know, work, have something he's doing all the time and mm-hmm. learn how to drive. So he just has to drive with me in the car. So we'll just take our car and we'll just go do Uber Eats and he can drive and I can teach him and I think it's a great idea. I love it. Yeah. I know. I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't broken the news to him yet. <laughs> um, no, the question is because he's too young to work for Uber Eats. Yeah. So you're going to have to sign up for Uber Eats. Yeah, as I'd a sign driver, up for it. Um, which means technically it's your money. Does he get any of it? Hmm. I mean, Never yes, he's driving the car. Yes, he's picking up the stuff. Yes, he's delivering it to the houses. But it's coming to your name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, no. You could teach him something about ownership. <laughs> I could teach him something about being swindled by the man. <laughs> yeah. That's the way to do it. All right, uh, Glenn Beck, the new special is tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern. The great reset of the American story. And, of course, the best way to get the Glenn Beck experience, the full thing, is own a subscription to Blaze TV. Go to blazetv.com slash stew. See, my, my wife wishes she would have done that instead of marrying me. I could have gotten the whole thing just by signing up for the blaze. Yeah, I know. Didn't have to. You can marry Glenn Beck as well. And that's a terrible (laughs) sell for the service. Glennbeck.com, or excuse me, blazetv.com slash Stu. Enter the promo code Stu. Uh, Make sure to check out the special tonight. Glenn, thanks for coming on. You bet. Back in a second. Lots of important government businesses going on, and I want you to know about it. First of all, we do have an important study of, of New York City schools. This comes out of uh, the New York City, sort of the de Blasio infra, uh, administration, did an actual study on this. It was released in a scientific journal. Um, sweeping study published Tuesday of COVID-19 spread in city schools offers the strongest evidence to date that virus transmission has remained low within in-person classes. A study authored by Mayor de Blasio's chief health advisor, Jay Varma, published in the journal Pediatrics. Uh, They studied 36,000 students and only 191 of the 36,000 students and staffers quarantined after a school virus exposure ultimately tested positive, a transmission rate of 0.5%. Now, they are pointing to the fact that um, the staff did test positive at a higher rate than the average adult in the city, but uh, city officials attribute the elevated uh, case rate among school staffers to the fact that they are tested much more frequently than other adults, which, of course, is true. Bottom line there, I think, is if you get the vaccine for these these teachers, there's really I mean, there's no argument anymore. There's no argument. And then there never was an argument. I go back to this all the time. One of the first things I heard about the coronavirus, and I think this is a normal thing for people to, to feel when this thing first started was, well, they're going to cancel school. The kids got to come home. And the scientists at the time were saying, well, don't, not so fast. Actually, you, you don't. It's OK to get kids back in school. You have to have kids in school 
Because how are the healthcare workers going to do their job if their kids are at home? It's not going to work. We need to get those kids to be able to have a place to go. And so schools should probably remain open. That's like in February they were saying this. Somehow this got, of course, politicized. But the, the science has said every step of the way that having schools open is the right thing to do. Now, whether you send your kids to public school is a whole other thing. Maybe that's not the right thing to do. I know it's not for everybody. I know not everybody can do it. But if you can, I would I would encourage you beyond all else to do what you can to get your kids out of these schools, because we can sit here and complain all day about all the crap, the woke nonsense that's going on in these schools. And then we sit here in the next break and say, oh, well, we got to open up these schools and get our kids back into them so they can be ruined. Well, I don't know. This might be a time to consider other options if it's at all possible for you and your family. And I got to believe that uh, we, you know, getting an organization of conservatives to get uh, to make it possible for people to send their kids to private school or pod learning or whatever it is to as, a, as an alternative to public school. It's a worthwhile effort. And if any of those, if you know about any of those, make sure you tweet them to me um, at uh, Stu Does America. I know I'm bashing Twitter today, but it's good for some things. Right. You can send me cool messages like that. That would be great. OK, uh, a couple things going on in our government. Merrick Garland has been confirmed uh, as attorney general. He won. Uh, he got the votes 70 to 30 today. Uh, now, Garland, of course, is an interesting figure. He was supposedly a moderate Supreme Court justice brought up by Barack Obama trying to get that through the Mitch McConnell controlled uh, court. Didn't happen, of course. And I've always thought that this is a little bit overblown. People are like on the left are like they screwed Merrick Garland out of this job. People on the right are like they held the line and they never let the vote. And good job, Mitch McConnell. Bottom line was he wasn't going to pass that Senate anyway. They weren't going to give they weren't going to give Barack Obama a justice with eight months before an election. They were going to take their chances and hope. Uh, so uh, whether they had the vote or not, I mean, I always argued they should have the vote and just reject him. If you think he's not a good justice, reject the guy. That's all. That's how this is supposed to work. It's good. They have to consent. Um, but that's not the way it went. Anyway, Merrick Garland has a job. And there's there's definitely a lot of talk on the conservative side of things that Merrick Garland is going to be out for revenge. I don't know if he's that kind of guy. He kind of seems like he he might be doing that sort of thing. He has focused a lot of his attention throughout his career on right wing extremism. Um, some of that was real uh, extremism, not necessarily right wing with people like uh, Timothy McVeigh back in the day. He was very central to the Oklahoma City bombing uh, in his earlier life. Uh, but there's a lot of talk now that his job is going to be and this is talk from his own mouth. Uh, that he's going to be focusing on the January 6th thing and everything tied to that. We'll see how that goes. Uh, A lot of of conservatives not exactly optimistic on that one. The House uh, has approved the $1.9 trillion COVID relief. Um, If you're watching this, depending on when you're watching this, uh, it may already be signed by Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. As we've talked about uh, at, at great length, a very small percentage of this bill is actually going to work on COVID and even the economy as it's tied to COVID. A lot of this money is just giveaways to state and local governments uh, and liberal wish, uh, you know, wishes that they've wanted for a very long time. And this is the only way they can jam them through. They did not get the minimum wage to $15, though, which would be a very bad policy. That is one positive, I suppose, you can take away from that, although that push is coming as well. And there's a group of bipartisan senators pushing for a permanent daylight savings time, which would mean... You don't switch the clocks. Now, I know Arizona mostly has this where they don't switch the clocks. There's no like daylight savings time. You don't, you know, spring forward or fall back. I've been doing that my whole life. I I don't really fully understand why we're still doing it. I think that's kind of the idea here. Let's just keep the clock, you know, keep the time the same. 
all the time so we don't have to set it back when we go to bed at, at night a couple of times a year kind of seems rational. Therefore, I assume it has absolutely no chance of passing, though they did say about 15 states have already uh, already approved this. Uh, so there is sort of a movement because people are just too annoyed by it. They're tired of either waking up you know, that awful moment when you wake up and you realize you have one less hour of sleep. But then there's the other side of that, which when you have the extra hour of sleep and it feels awesome. I don't know how to, this is this one's just above my pay grade. I don't know. Maybe it does seem like that we should just have a consistent time, doesn't it? Doesn't it just seem weird that we change it twice a year? I, I don't have much more of an argument against it than that. It just seems weird that we act like time changes twice a year. So anyway, they're trying to get that done in the Senate. And I assume, considering it seems to make common sense, it has no chance of actually occurring. Back in a second. One of the most important things you can do in life is subscribe to this podcast. And I assume you might be listening to this podcast right now on your headphones. And you might think, why am I listening to this incredible podcast on these crappy headphones? Well, you know who doesn't say that? People who have Raycons. Raycons in your ear can make all the difference. You don't have the dangling wires. You don't have the dumb stems like the Apple ones. You get really good headphones and they come in a great range of, uh, of colors. Um, but it's also uh, always has this sort of like smooth uh, fit to your ear. So there's nothing dangling out of it. You could like put your head down on a pillow and sleep with Raycons in your ear if you wanted to, because they're just flat against uh, your ear. So it's not sticking out. It's not annoying. It's not falling out. Raycons are built to perform anywhere, anytime, water and sweat resistant construction and Bluetooth that pairs quickly and seamlessly. That's a big thing for me because nothing ever works in my life. So I like the fact that I turn them on and they're automatically uh, connected really quickly. Uh, long battery life uh, and they're offering 15% off right now. Take advantage of this. These things are awesome. Buyraycon.com slash stew. That's all you got to do. Buyraycon.com slash stew. You get 15% off your order uh, and you get to uh, grab a pair, maybe a spare as well. Uh, they're a lot cheaper than some of these other competitors, uh, but I will tell you, they're better. Buyraycon.com slash stew. Make sure to use the slash stew part of the address because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, you'll get 15% off. B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N. Buyraycon.com slash stew. So the New York Times has a map that they produce, and it's, it basically shows the status of openings and closings around the country due to COVID. We're now down to the point where uh, they have three settings, basically, like mostly closed for businesses, um, uh, mixed, and then mostly open. We're at the point now where there's only, I think, six or seven states that are in the um, mixed category. Most states now are mostly open. Uh, for business. Now, there's some you know, space re restrictions, but you've seen, obviously, Texas kind of did it in a splashy way recently. Uh, Mississippi was there as well. Montana did it recently. Connecticut did it recently. And Maryland is the latest state that I saw that was opening uh, things up to 100 percent capacity in most areas. Uh, this is a big development. And as, as we know, um, the Texas Rangers just announced they are going to open up opening day for Major League Baseball at 100 percent capacity. So, I mean, that was the last step. I feel like the mass gathering thing uh, now in many states, that's back to normal. A hundred percent capacity uh, for the Texas Rangers. One of the crazy things, if you don't know anything about the Texas Rangers, is they built a giant new stadium, uh, a very expensive new stadium to start baseball in 2020. 
uh, which did not work out all that well, uh, I'm sure, for revenue purposes. So I'm not surprised they're jumping right to 100 percent. Almost no Texas Rangers fans have been in this stadium, despite the fact that it, early 2020 it was ready for to go. They did hold a couple of events there, including the World Series. I went to the World Series at the stadium. This is what it looked like. It's a little hard to tell from the for the crowd here, but you can kind of see not a lot of people. It's a World Series game. I think it was something like 15% capacity or something for these games. And uh, there's nobody there. But it's kind of exciting. Here we are in just a few weeks. That stadium will be jam-packed with people as we return to real baseball with real crowds in the United States of America. I know it sounds crazy to be excited about something like that, but it's been a rough year and I am thrilled. Back in a second. As I was saying, 2020 was a rough year and into 2021, it's been almost worse. This is not the time for like grocery store brand ice cream. You need real ice cream from the best places in the country. And let me give you one. Brooker's Founding Flavors ice cream. You're talking about ice cream you can love and be proud to eat. Uh, They've got the they have all their ice creams are themed with like the founding fathers and like the founding of this country. You know why? Because the people behind the ice cream actually like the country. I know it's a crazy idea. It's crazy. They have the guns of Boston flavor, which has chunks of little Debbie oatmeal cream pie in it. Oh, they also have um, uh, uh, they also have um, what's the other one? Oh, St. This St. Patrick's Day thing. It's unbelievable. Uh, It's called Shamrock Smash, I think. I had it last night. It's got mint Oreo cookies ice cream, chocolate chip brownies, and Andy's mints blended into ice cream. It is incredible. If you love mint ice cream, you've never had a mint ice cream like this. And as always is the case when I talk about Brooker's Founding Flavors, my mouth is watering. I need to I need to like I need dry mouth for these commercials. You'll find these flavors and a whole lot more at the Brooking, Brooker's Founding Flavors ice cream website. Go to brookersicecream.com. You click the ship nationwide uh, tab. If you've never ordered a real ice cream uh, from around the country, the best you've ever had, you're missing out. And Brooker's ice cream is at the top of the list, man. Don't miss it. Brookersicecream.com. Click on ship nationwide. Brookersicecream.com. Thank you for making it all the way to the end of the show. I I appreciate it. You're part of the Cool Kids Club. Only the Cool Kids make it this far. Please click like on the video and share it and review and rate. And I'll do all those things because it makes me feel better about myself. I will tell you as well, uh, if you are watching the beginning of the George Floyd trial and seeing that they're already starting to do protests, you can always use this shirt. uh, Learn, then protest. Learn. Then protest. The order is important. You can get it, I think, at uh, studosmerch.com or learnthenprotest.com. I don't know. Okay, a couple of uh, projects I want to tell you about, bizarre ones. First of all, there is a new um, movie coming out. It's, uh, it's got Elizabeth Banks in it. It's called Cocaine Bear. Based on a true story, apparently, 1985, the New York Times reported a 175-pound black bear consumed the contents of a duffel bag. Problem is, of course, the duffel bag had 70 pounds of cocaine in it. It had been dropped by an airplane uh, from a local drug smuggler. Uh, that one seems kind of promising. Not as promising as the CWs, which, first of all, tells you something, uh, but also a Powerpuff Girls remake, a live-action Powerpuff Girls. Now, the Powerpuff Girls were adorable and cute and fought crime. These are going to be doing social justice issues, and it makes me want to hurt myself, um, which is one of the issues they're going to probably deal with, suicide. So should be an uplifting message. We'll see you tomorrow.